Having left university with an engineering degree less than a year ago, our guest, Ilham Saeed, is the co-founder of the startup E2E, which is a digital community connecting young engineers to help one another accelerate their knowledge and connect with the global engineering community. We get a valuable insight into what the world looks like to the young entrepreneur and also her thoughts on Generation Alpha. Welcome back to the Evolving Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Allender. And I'm John Gomes. How are you feeling, Scott? Well, uh, actually, I'm a bit tired and achy today. I, uh, I had my second vaccine yesterday, which I'm so elated about, so grateful for. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit sleepy. So if I nod off at all, just you know, holler at me. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope you feel better soon. Thank you, sir. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really energized uh, for a Friday. Um, had a very busy week, but um, but yeah, really great. That's awesome. Um, well, let's jump in. Do you want to introduce our guest? I sure do. Today we are joined by Ilham Said. Um, Ilham is an engineer and an entrepreneur. She combines a real passion for people and technology into what she's doing, and she's the founder of E2E, which we'll speak to her about in a moment. But uh, Ilham, welcome to the show. Hello, Scott and John. Thank you for having me today. So can we start a bit with your story on, on sort of what first drew you into engineering and sort of how you came to be such a young entrepreneur? Yes, so I was in high school where I was, it was a bit of a weird one because I was very good at physics, but my maths was terrible. I had to really work on maths to get it to like an, at least an average. Um, sort of like um, compared to my peers at least, um, which was very confusing for me, but I enjoyed it. I liked the challenge and that's what drew me into engineering. Um, it was not a thing that um, pushed me outside of my comfort zone. It was something that didn't come naturally to me. I had to train myself to be a good engineer, to be a good engineering student, to get good grades. And I guess that fascination about problem solving kind of um, falls into entrepreneurship as well because um, anyone who likes problem solving is an engineer and that's how I like to put it um, and I love problem solving um, whether it cut whether it's related to tools at home like the printer's broken like the internet wasn't working I was always the go-to person in my family uh, who'd be like hey Ilham can you fix this hey the phone isn't working the printer isn't working something the lights aren't working so apparently <laughs> if you're an engineer you can you're responsible for all household items, which is quite funny. So um, just to give our listeners a kind of fix, because we talk about you as a young entrepreneur, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot to tell us how old you are, but how, how many years has it been since you, you left, you graduated? It's only been um, just over a few months now, to be honest. Um, okay, that's enough. So tell us about <laughs> the genesis of E2E because that, and, and what problem it was solving for. So Italy was actually a solution to my own problem. Um, I was in my second year doing engineering. Like I said, I really had to work hard to be a good engineer. Um, and I found it difficult. I mean, that's, that's, that's the honest thing. I'm not going to say it was very smooth sailing because that's what it may seem like, but I had to put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, so in my second year, I kind of was really frustrated by how long it took to get my questions answered. Um, if I was stuck in a problem, um, I was a very shy person as well. So I didn't have the confidence to go up to my lecture at the end of class and tell, hey, I didn't get the specific part of the lecture or I don't understand this problem. 
I would usually spend hours and hours at night or end up emailing them, um, which takes too long. The third option was to kind of visit an office hours slot that only occurs once a week. And we think we're looking at a cohort of 140 students with one lecturer teaching one unit. Um, so he doesn't have the man hours to be able to cater for all, all of us, um, I guess, personally. So I decided to start a WhatsApp group. And this WhatsApp group first started with six engineering students doing aerospace at the University of Bristol. It then grew to over 50 aerospace engineering students at the University of Bristol. So I, and I, what the beauty of it was, regardless of what time of day it was, whether it was 5 a.m. In, in the morning or 12 midnight, someone was always available. There was, you don't have the limitations of office hours. You don't have the limitations of business working days. You don't have the limitations of like over flooded inboxes. Someone was always available. So I thought if this small, if it's more helping this small group of aerospace engineers, surely the wider faculty could benefit from something similar. And that's how eTwee was born. So it's essentially a fast growing learning experience platform. We put an emphasis on experience because we know that there's no one shoe fits all to learning. Um, what we want to emphasize most is kind of the peer to peer learning aspect of education. And we want to become kind of like the go-to communication hub for students of every discipline um, and be able to kind of facilitate that through real-time multidisciplinary collaboration and learning. Um, so yeah, we were kind of built to enhance the student and career experience, like what conversational technology has done for enterprises like Slack, we want to do for the higher education market. So just to give us a little a bit of a kind of understanding of where you've got to in building out this uh, this operation, who's involved, how many people, in, and, and commercially how it operates. Yes, yeah, so we launched a pilot at the University of Bristol in October 2019, where we opened it up to three departments, so the Department of Mechanical Engineering, Aerospace Engineering, and Electrical Engineers. And we agreed to be supporting over a thousand um, engineering students at one university, as well as 45 academics, 27 TAs and PhD students. Um, we've received over 40,000 pounds in grant funding through various awards and the alumni um, grants and um, competitions as well, like the Young Innovators Award um, in, by Innovate UK. And where we are right now in terms of the team, um, so I'm the founder. Um, where I focus more on like the vision, product development, etc. I have my co-founder, who is also an aerospace engineering student at the University of Bristol. His name is Dogba. He's focusing, or he's a CTO, so he focuses more on like the tech development. Um, we recently brought in an in intern who was working with us doing marketing, um, and he's now part of the team as a digital marketing specialist. And we recently brought in a full-time um, front um, and web developer. Um, he was working on like our platform upgrade. So where we are right now, so over the year, what we've been trying to do is really understand the education. And we've run that pilot. We found that people are benefit, benefiting from it. We've um, gathered the case studies, the user feedback, customer feedback, and et cetera. And now that we've kind of established that problem solution fit, we're ready to take it to the product market fit and develop something that we can then roll out to multiple universities in the UK as well as abroad and be able to kind of, I guess, make that test bed for that ecosystem of universities kind of speaking to each other, where we'll be able to also introduce our subscription models, um, which is university um, and business subscription. 
So that's where we are right now. We're kind of in the tech development stage, but we're building our platform upgrade that will then be ready to be piloted um, in September at at least 10 universities. We brought in around 10 eTwe ambassadors from six different universities in the UK. Again, that will also feed into our development, really understanding how different universities operate. So it's a subscription model that the university licenses essentially. Um, what's your scaling plan beyond the initial 10? Do you, have you thought that far down the road? So you can probably imagine with anything that's online, we can easily open up to 100. The only limitation is probably server, which well, I mean, we're hosting on cloud, so that's not really a limitation. Right. So we really lean infrastructure for like scaling. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to do it. We want to scale intelligently and we want to scale with quality. So because we're building community, we don't want that community to be, to be so sparse and spread out that it lacks substance. So we're building this really strong community where we're slowly adding more and more elements, more and more universities and et cetera. And that only then would we be comfortable with kind of now that we've established a really strong community to be able to roll out anywhere, which is also the reason why we're currently just focusing on engineering and STEM students before we can scale it to other departments because we know that completely applicable to law, to economics, medicine, business, languages. Uh, but we wanted to do engineering, um, understand engineering really well before scaling to other disciplines. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about engineering for a minute, if we may. Um, Peter Thiel described engineering as being at a great stagnation since the 1970s. I'm curious why you think that is and where your generation wants to take engineering? Um, I think the reason why that's the case is really because the problem solving element of engineering is not emphasized enough when we're communicating with our generation. I guess like modern engineers use their skills to do everything from improving air quality to pollution levels to helping doctors and, and, and veterans and improving the quality of life or whether it's patients for new devices and even there is like the strong thing called like engineering entrepreneurship as well, where you create something that helps other people. Um, and that's what at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of, I guess, my generation wants to do. But I think, I think they call, um, as kind of baby boomer engineers retire from like manufacturing, um, younger generations aren't rushing to fill in their shoes. Um, and I don't blame them because of how engineering is kind of being um, showcased right now. It doesn't look very exciting. You need to make it exciting. You need to take the steps forward. You need to think outside the box to make it an exciting industry. And this sort of like rapidly changing technology has created a great, has created a greater demand for new skills amongst a shrinking pool of talent. So um, I think we need to put a lot of effort into restoring that excitement of engineering, which is what we're planning to do with E2E, where we're building this community of engineers, where we're able to support engineers from the first time they enter university to the time they graduate and get their first job. We don't want our en like engineering students to do an engineering degree, but end up doing something else purely because they were so sick and tired of an engineering degree and they want to do something else. Um, we feel like that's a lot of like wasted potential. Do, do you see a difference as a group of engineers between your mindset and the, the people that you're talking to, your baby boomer equivalents in organizations? Do you see a difference in how they see that problem solving or is it the same thing? I think some industries, specifically manufacturing, since that's 
the largest industry for engineering it may seem quite daunting because um it, it seems daunting because daunting and quite monotonous as well and i think that it's no wonder that a lot of people think that it it seems to be quite a repetitive and um routine and outdated field um but the breadth of engineering roles that are available today means that there really is a role for everyone and anyone if someone has the right skills with a curious mind you can do a career in engineering um and that's what i think a lot of things like for example like tesla and spacex are really attracting a lot of young engineers because of that mindset and i think it's really just comes to changing the mindset of how you think and creating opportunities even though the opportunities may not be prevalent right in front of you then and there if you're enjoying the evolving leader please head over to apple podcasts and leave us a review and don't forget to follow along on instagram and linkedin you can find us at evolving leader thank you for listening now let's get back to the show so you started off our show talking about your growth mindset with, look, I'm not really good at math, but I'm not letting that get in my way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna overcome that. Which, by the way, let's right size this math. I'm not good at thing. So, is are you when you say you're not good at math, are you secretly able to do calculus in your head, or is this like what level of math? Oh no, it's you know, so like for bad. me, I count. I still count on my fingers. Exactly. You've only got three. <laughs> I'm a master's in aerospace engineering graduate and I still need to count with my fingers whenever someone tells me, okay, it's like five times something times something. I'm still like, okay, let me just do that. Like I need to, I still like all these small things. Like, um, Are you telling us we can all be engineers? (laughs) I feel so much better about myself. Say, John, you can stop making fun of me now. No. (laughs) So is your mindset common? Because that really is like, look, I'm not good at this. I'm more naturally gifted at this, but this is what I want. Really, it's just a barrier that I have to overcome. Do you find that your peers are similar or are you kind of a standout in that way? A lot of people would say that I'm an overachiever. And I think that falls into like, I don't just, I don't just settle for just enough or I don't just do the bare minimum. Like in anything that I put my time in, I put like 150%. And I think because of how I see challenges as opportunities to learn and not as obstacles that are getting in my way to achieving something. I'm like, well, great. How can I make this situation or this specific challenge or obstacle um, kind of benefit me in a way or be an upside for me, even though it's actually not. Um, And it really comes from a lot of things like doing, like writing failed applications. So I've applied for jobs like Airbus and Rolls-Royce and Jaguar. I got multiple um, failed applications, like rejection letters. And then what I decided to do after that was I'm going to stop applying for jobs. I'm going to be creating my own internships. And that's literally what I did throughout my degree. In my second year, I message the European Space Agency wrote like a letter and told them hey I know you guys are only accepting master's students and in my bachelor's um, but I really see this as an opportunity to learn like being around engineers who may have years of experience and there I was in Belgium doing a space systems engineering training course with people who are way older than me Um, so even though they specifically said in their eligibility form that anyone who doesn't have a master's can't get in I use that as like, actually, I think I can, and here's why. And I made, I built a case for myself. Mm. And then that's what I I continued doing that until, uh, until the time I graduated. And I left a more 
competent engineer than if I was to just, I guess, focus on getting good grades on my exams or. Um, so yeah. let's build on that a little bit, because when I came across your your bio, my eyes lit up when I, I read that you believe that people must bring their whole self to the table. Um, and I'm always kind of preaching that myself, but if you're, you're getting at it right now with what you just said, but I'd love to know a little bit more about what does that mean to you specifically to bring your whole self to the table? I think that, so again, because I'm not a typical engineer, I would focus more on the human side of engineering, the presentation side, the breaking something very complex, breaking it down into something, the simplest form to be able to be explained to a toddler. Um, so that's what I love to do. And that's what I like. I love presentations. I love writing. I loved, um, and this is something that engineers don't do. I was doing a presentation with the European Space Agency and someone came up to me like, are you sure you're an engineer? Because you don't sound like one. And that's exactly what I mean by bringing your whole self. Like, even though I'm, I've, I've crafted myself to be a technical person, I still try to hold a lot of the people side of things that I have. So I'm really good at communicating. I'm quite like, I love like understanding people. I don't focus just on the technology. I focus on that as well. And I, um, and at times at university, I was like, do I even belong here? Because a lot of my peers are like, not liking like whenever you need to do a presentation or talk in front of people, like speak to like stakeholders or something like that. They daunted it, but I loved it. I would be the first one to raise my hand. Yes, I'm the person for that. And then they're like, but how? Like, don't you want to be behind a screen working on numbers all day? Like, no, like, again, which comes into combining like people and technology. So really, I guess you've got a typical stereotype for engineers. I don't fit into a lot of that, but I found areas that I do fit, but then I still was true to myself and my values and what I stand for and what I'm good at and languages. Again, I'm still keeping up with languages as much as I um, try. I'm currently on my fourth language. Um, So I'm not letting, just because I have an engineering degree, I'm not letting that put like an overcast on who Ilham actually is, what she loves doing, what she likes doing in her free time and et cetera. And that's what I mean by really, being like kind of being your true self and setting yourself to the table um i'm like really understanding want want to understand people i want to like understand what their goals are so i can help them get there um so yeah i guess it really comes down to being authentic so we can build on that a little bit more what what are the the values that are guiding you forward in your life um the first one would probably be resilience um you need to be resilient and whatever life throws at you, you need to be able to recover quickly from like setbacks, obstacles, challenges. Um, and I think that's one of the strongest um, like leadership core values in a way. Um, because why? Because the struggle is real. Um, it's not really spoken about much, but it's really, it's hard. And the more you do, the more lonelier it gets, if anything. And it is a lonely journey because not everyone's willing to... Um, I guess, keep up with you or like keep up with They're like, we can't keep up with you. We don't know what you're like every day, you're like doing something different. Um, and um, the second one would probably be empathy. Feel what others feel. Appreciate, understand, be willing to appreciate what people are going through. 
Um, and that's what, that's the kind of culture that, that I aim to kind of facilitate or like have within E2E is that empathy. Like, I'm not going to have a go at you if you can't get your thing and if you can't get something done in time. I try to understand like, okay, what are the issues? What were you overworked? Were you given too much? Did you have something in that specific week that you couldn't complete specific tasks? Um, so empathy does really um, go a long way. And the last one will probably be commitment. Commitment is hard as well. People, when things get hard, they easily just drop it, go to the next thing or start something different. But I think commitment, it shows willingness to get involved. And um, and it is a really important value that I guess is needed for a successful company or for a person. So you're, mov you're moving so quickly and I love everything you just said. Um, and I'm just curious, what are you doing to intentionally invest in yourself make sure that you can keep your own level of commitment and the empathy will continue to come from you like what are you how do you seek out your own sort of support for how busy you are and what your plans are so um by default i'm i'm naturally quite a self-motivated person um and i don't because of commitment i don't need motivation or encouragement to keep going so I think if you rely on motivation and encouragement, those, I guess, they're like sine waves. You've got high periods of high motivation, periods where you don't feel so bad, where we don't feel so good. So it's times when you don't feel so good, where commitment kicks, kicks in, where you know you're committed to something, and that's when that's that is what's going to support you. So I feel like relying on the right things, and as well as that, I constantly ask for feedback. So I don't think I'm complete. I I think I'm far from that. But like every day is like a new learning opportunity. I would ask my team members, what do you think? How do you think that went? Do you think that went well? What do you think? What, what do I need to do differently? So I'm not assuming every single action that I take is right. No, I see it as an opportunity to be able to get feedback of those people that I'm giving, that are receiving, I guess, what I'm doing, like a presentation or like a, if I'm doing like a pitch or if I'm even just doing a, 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 like a meeting with my team, with my team. And it's really getting feedback from them. Like, how can we improve it? How can I improve? What are my shortcomings that I can improve and be a better CEO and a better team player for you guys and for myself as well? So it's constantly, I guess, being quite humble and being open to learn because mm. I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I'm willing to learn. What do you think um, is going to change for you as uh, the restrictions of COVID um, start to ease? I mean, because you you basically launched your business and run most of it during lockdown, haven't you? So, do, are you looking forward to something different in the way you operate, or is it you know is is the virtual nature of your business going to just carry on in the same way? In terms of logistics, it actually makes it a lot easier for my team because a lot of my team members are full time students; they don't have the the time to move around and go to certain places and make certain meetings they just need to turn on a zoom link and then they're there um so it really makes logistics a lot easier but when it comes to actual face-to-face -face interactions i feel like that's super important especially when you want to develop a very strong team a team that is going to be quite long term but yeah i am looking forward to being able to meet people in person i remember in some meetings um, for people that i haven't met for the first time if i'm doing like an agreement or something like that I asked them, can you please turn your camera on? Because um, I need to be able to connect. I need to be able to see reactions. I can't, 
I think I was doing like a negotiation and the people had like the cameras up and I was like, I can't do this with the cameras up. I need to be able to see your reaction to what I'm saying and all these other cues that I like behavior, body language and et cetera, for me to be comfortable with moving forward with this. Um, so yeah, it's things, things like that, that I'm kind of looking forward to is like the in-person sort of um, meetings. So um, we often are talking to, to people about, you know, your generation, um, but you're going to be, you know, each generation seems to be getting shorter um, because of the changes in technology and the difference in, from a sociological point of view. So you're going to be managing um, Gen Alpha. What, what do you think that's going to be like? Huh. I don't know if I can keep up. I mean, I've got, I've got six siblings. They come up with new things every day. My four-year-old brother is memorizing all the planets and order and what they consist of. And like, I, I can barely keep up with him. He was teaching me about turbochargers just a few days ago. And I'm, I'm just shocked. Um, and I'm really, if anything, I'm kind of um, Gen Alpha. I'm kind of looking at them as the future. I feel like technology and them are moving so rapidly. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing it in front of me with my siblings. Um, so they're the future generation and the things that they're interested in and what makes them tick and what they, what they see their future being. So I did this little exercise with my siblings where I asked them to create their own jobs um, for by the time they graduate, which is like in 10 years time. Where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself being in this? And the, I, and the ideas that they came up with were very interesting. So this was like from like my four-year-old brother to like my 13-year-old sister who wants to like, I don't know, do cybersecurity for space or something for like space invasion or something like that. It's just a craziest idea. So I really think allowing them to, to diverge, let the ideas go wild, tell them to go crazy with what they're thinking. Nothing is limited. Nothing is too crazy. Nothing is limited by anything. Like before we used to say the sky's the limit, now we're in space. And I'm really, and that's what I try to like, um, like remind them that nothing is too crazy. Um, so yeah, no, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest thing is let um, innovation kick in because um, it's the time for that right now. We've been stagnant. We've been like plateaued for too long. Our generation are just solving problems right now, but it's time to rebuild and reshape and rethink and reconnect. Yeah, I love that because we we see in our work just just lack of imagination at so many levels. The ability to reconceive the world as as it is, and you know, because that's basically what innovation is: trying to reimagine what what things might be might be. And I think a lot of the problem solving around innovation and and growth is really just variants of what already exists. But you're talking about a generation who have, don't seem to have any limitation to that. You know, in terms of thinking, we should be getting them to to help us design the future now, not wait for them to get into the workforce. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what I'm doing with my siblings. So just one more okay. thing. <laughs> we'll have a show with them. We'll bring them all together <laughs> um, and we'll ask them to tell us, you know, what, what the workplace of the future is going to be. Should we do that? Let's do it. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Might be, it might be chaotic, but I think it'd be fun. It would be fun. So, Ilham, you said so many um, important things. What's, what's the most important takeaway from this conversation for a young entrepreneur who's listening to you right now? What would you want them to know? I think 
something that I like that um, Richard Branson said was treat life like one long university education. And whilst doing that, do what you care about. Don't do what pays well. Don't do what sounds right. Don't do what everyone else is doing right now because it's like the hot topic. No, because um, th- th- there's no doubt running a business takes a lot of time. So you want to use that time with something that you care about. And that's the only way that you will be satisfied with what you're building, what you're spending your time on and what you're, I guess, spending sweat equity on. Um, Second one would be to take the risk. We won't know um, the outcome of our efforts unless we actually do it. So I know a lot of my colleagues and friends who are thinking of starting businesses, but they don't go beyond the thinking stage. A lot of people have ideas, but an idea is just as good as the execution of it. So it's really, you won't know whether it's a good one unless you try um, and the third one, probably the most important one, as Henry Ford said, um, whether whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Um, so if I, I'm a true believer that if you believe you can succeed, you always find a way through um, different mm. obstacles. If you don't, you'll just find excuses. So if we try and accelerate into the future, and it's a long time for you, 2030, what do you think life will be like for you? What do you think you'll be doing you know, what problems might you be solving then? I've always thought of this question because I'm not a planner. I hate planning. I hate planning for like next week. I'm always a okay, what am I going to do today to the best of my ability? So I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch tomorrow, let alone what I'm going to do in five years time. But uh, it's a really important question. And I feel like um, what I want to do is to make sure that the spark is still there. Um, so I'm quite, I'm still young now. I'm still quite lively. I'm still very optimistic about life, about the opportunities that are available. And what I've seen as years go by, a lot of people tend to lose that. So I want to ensure that I try really hard to protect that because I feel like, um, once it's gone, it's, it's really hard to build back. Um, it's really hard to kind of, once you've become comfortable with your life, with what you're doing, I don't see any growth in that so constantly being able to grow constantly being able to support more people and um, help more young 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 people because i feel like there's so much guidance that is required of them again with this rapidly changing world because i remember in six years ago where it was quite easy for me to pick a degree that i wanted but for now if i had to de-invest you all over again i would not know what to pick um, because how quickly everything is changing. So it's really um, being like that um, beacon for young people um, to be able to be the best version of themselves that isn't under anyone's um, definition, but theirs. That's good. Well, Ilham, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, It's been incredibly insightful. Um, Really appreciate your time. Yeah, I feel inspired. And I also, um, I'm going to talk to more young people about the future. Yeah. Uh, but by the way, side side um, side note, my name actually means inspiration in seven uh, languages. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so it's um, really live by my name, right? If I don't, that's what I tell everyone. Like, if I'm not inspiring you, then I... I <laughs> not living up to my name. <laughs> it's nominative determination in action. well folks we hope you enjoyed ilham's transparency and insights as much as we did and until next time remember the world is evolving are you